Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Atlas Live. This is season two, episode two, but our first Wednesday night episode. And this episode is literally an exercise in the topic of this evening. What to do when you're stuck, when you're up against the wall, you're backed up against the wall, or you're facing the wall, you're walled in, you're, you're dry, you have your, your insight, your inspiration, everything has abandoned you, failed you, left you, and even though sometime before Christmas we talked about being lost in the desert and waiting in the dark, and we, and we tackled that subject extensively, on a practical level, day to day, when we have things to do, we have work uh, that we need to accomplish, what do we do when our source of inspiration, our source of insight, imagination has run dry. Our well has run dry. The, 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 the font no longer springs forth a fountain of, of, of creativity, of ideas, of inspiration, of passion, of energy, the vitality. Everything seems to be missing lacking. What do we do then? Practically speaking, what do we do? And we realized because as a source for practical spirituality and practical techniques and actionable intelligence in terms of the spiritual path and harnessing and, and act, self-actualizing in the world, that is bringing forth that which is within you, bringing it forth into the world is part of that work, is part of that path to serve our innermost being, to be a conduit, a vessel, a vehicle, and a messenger to, yeah, bring forth into the world that which is within us to bring forth. Well, what happens when we, we turn within to tap that source and nothing comes out of the tap? The well is dry. What, what do we do then? This is the situation that we've been in for 48 hours in contemplating and preparing for this live stream. We had no inspiration. We had no, we had no indication. We had no insight. 
we had we received no guidance and that's why we had no preview 24 hours ago and that's why even a few hours ago we had nothing and we spent hours on facebook you know engaging with people waiting for the right thing to show up on our wall that that talked about the topic that we needed to address but nothing that we encountered nothing that we saw nothing that there was there was no click there was no spark it was all just this red brick wall everything was just the same everything was just monotone what are we going to do are we not atlas do our viewers not expect us to be able to deliver them some form of of valuable insight it's moments like these and opportunities like these which allow us to share with you our experience and share with you the struggle the suffering the doubt the the feeling of being stuck the feeling of we don't have all the answers all the time and that we're not just this unlimited spring of ambrosia flowing from us constantly this is why the at the 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 youtube channel and our facebook page is called atlas in formation we're not a master we're not a guru we're not a, any of these things we're just we're like you lost suffering disconnected a lot of the time most of the time and dealing with our own demons dealing with our own fear our own need to control like like for example the need to have to have a topic the need to be in control of this live stream the need to be able to the fear of what are what is everyone going to think of us if we don't have something to share with them what are we going to do well here's what we're doing this is this is what we had to offer you tonight the experience of not knowing what to offer you tonight because we know that everyone experiences this everyone goes through this everyone feels adrift at sea lost abandoned no signs no breadcrumbs we've talked about the mana from heaven and the breadcrumbs on the trail so then what what do we do what do we do our answer and the answer that we are sharing with you now not just through words but through our actions through our example is to go with it it's okay be 
alone. Be vulnerable. Feel abandoned. Feel what that's like. Don't identify with it. Don't give into it. Don't allow those feelings of abandonment to crystallize into a narrative of guilt or shame or self-doubt or unworthiness or who knows what other narratives the ego mind might concoct around this, this lack of insight, this lack of inspiration, the lack of imagination. So we can experience this type of phenomenon a number of different ways. We can experience it as something as simple as writer's block to that feeling of stuckness. And we can all relate to that, that feeling of being stuck. We just, we don't even know what direction we should be going in. And we feel as though any direction that we, that we embark upon, it's like our feet are in molasses or we're in some bog, some quicksand. And that it doesn't matter which direction we, we go in. There's, there's just so much uncertainty and there's no force of momentum. There's no passion. There's no clear motivation from within. Now, surely, if we allow ourselves to fall into the trap, our ego mind can come up with things to do and directions to go. And if we give in to that, we may unwittingly embark down the wrong path. And this is a real danger because of our fear, our impatience, our need to control, which is fear, and our desire for something tangible and something to do. Something to do at all costs. We have to be busy. We have to feel as though we're doing something. We have to do something. So our ego mind will come up with things to do if for no other reason than to quelch the boredom that seeps into our psyche when we have no instruction, no inner direction on what to do, what we should be doing, and what direction we should be going in. The ego mind will be very quick to offer up an alternative to sitting and being and being still and meditating and patiently waiting for the direction to come, for the, for the inspiration to arrive. As we embraced our 
writer's block for tonight because again it wasn't writer's block in the strictest sense because we never write any of our live stream presentations they're always spontaneous but still we must come up with a topic there must be a general overview of that subject that area that we are going to be addressing in in the live stream so and that was completely blank so from that perspective we had that writer's block we had we had no seeming direction but as we embraced that not knowing as we embraced that stuckness as we stared at the wall and we allowed that experience to simply manifest itself in the title of tonight's live stream and in the description of tonight's live stream. This is a situation that we have been in many, many, many times in our life, many times. And it often comes part and parcel with depression for us, for my, our personal experience that usually when we are experiencing depression, we are in a dark place and, and our connection is much weaker. The bandwidth is, is cut off as clearly the, 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 the demon is, is having a greater effect on our psyche and subconsciously and draining our energy. And it is difficult to gain access to the insight and to the higher self when we are being drained of our energy. This is why fornication and, and all of the other ways in which we waste our sexual force is not conducive to a spiritual awakening because how do you access your higher self if all of your energy is being, is being whittled away, wasted away and being consumed by your egos? It's it, it, those two things. You cannot be strengthening your ego over here, and and which is consuming all of the energy which you would normally use in concentration and meditation and self observation and awareness and mindfulness to be able to to observe and remember yourself, your 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 true self. So so very often the writer's block or the the disconnectedness the being being set adrift at sea comes with that malaise that melancholy that that depression or that anxiety and oftentimes it's it's a self-feeding negative feedback loop in other words your depression might be leading to your disconnection, which then starts feeding into and making you even more upset or more melancholy. And then you, you start down this downward spiral. So you might be in a negative energetic and psychological frame of mind. You might be being affected by any number of egos that you deal with on, on a regular basis. And you might be being ganged up on in the subconscious mind, and this is draining you or it's causing your anxiety or, or whatever emotional state that you're in, which is blocking you, obstructing you from 
accessing your higher self and your source of inspiration. But the fact that you cannot access your higher self and source of inspiration, and now you're suffering from writer's block, but you have work that you need to get done or you want to get done, but you can't because you're cut off. You're staring at the wall. But now the fact that you're staring at the wall starts adding to your anxiety and your melancholy and depression, right? It's, it's compounding itself now. And you can see very quickly. And if you've ever suffered from writer's block, if you've ever dealt with uh, your well having run dry, the well having one run dry is a good analogy because imagine a village or a village leader or the mother of a family that goes out to the well and the well is dry. How is she going to feel about that when water is the essence of life? How can we, we can't survive without it. And so the natural reaction of someone who's looking after themselves and their family and the village, if, if you've run out of water, this is an existential crisis. And of course, fear, fear rears its ugly head in an existential crisis. And the fear that comes from not doing, not acting, just, just not constantly being in motion. There's an anxiety that arises. And this is one of the reasons why the mind never never shuts up and why we busy ourselves all the time with surfing the web and listening to music in the background or listening to podcasts in the background and we and we we busy ourselves with multitasking why is that that we busy ourselves and we we split our attention in as many possible ways as we can. We think that we're being productive. Our ego mind tells us, oh no, you're being productive. Look, you're doing your work and you're listening to a podcast and you're watching this and you're doing that and you've got this other thing going on in the background and you're making a pot of tea and you're, right? You're being productive. Oh, look how productive you're being. But are you concentrated and focused on anything? And are you familiar with the expression, too little butter scraped across too much toast? I don't care who you are, right? No one. No one likes a piece of toast that has too little butter scraped across it. This is, this is not a, the result is not a good result. And the effect that this has on our psyche, on our consciousness, 
where we are constantly splitting our attention in all of these different ways through ego mind on that superficial level and unable to synthesize our attention and concentrate. And how can we really, how can we really go deep? How can we have one eye in and one eye out and remember our divine mother, remember our innermost being, remember our higher self? How can we practice true self-observation and self-remembering if we're, if we're doing 20 different things or even three different things? Nobody, nobody here who's multitasking and doing work on the computer and listening to a podcast and doing something else, nobody here while they're doing that is remembering their divine mother. Nobody. Fact. Impossible. Cannot be done. And you're also not, you're also not observing yourself. You're not in self-observation. All your attention is out there. It's on the podcast, it's on the screen, it's on this, it's on that, it's on the phone call, it's on, it's doing what all, it's all the other things that you're doing, which is exactly where your ego mind wants your attention, out there. So when we're not doing stuff and we're not receiving instructions, on stuff that we need to do, of course, the ego mind starts throwing a temper tantrum, essentially. And if it throws that temper tantrum subconsciously, which it often does, deep-seated subconscious anger, that drains our energy from, the, from within. Or if it throws a, a panic attack subconsciously, then that subconscious panic attack manifests as anxiety on the surface. Anxiety is a deep-seated subconscious panic attack, and depression is deep-seated subconscious rage so a raging anger or a raging uh, fear uh, panic and but deep subconsciously that that activity is is happening in the subconscious mind and it's and it's draining us from within or on and uh, the anxiety is radiating out from us uh, on the surface and these states are very 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 common when you're suffering from things like writer's block we watched a film on netflix over the weekend called tick tick boom this is a film starring andrew garfield and it's a wonderful wonderful little film it's a musical film about Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson, who you may or may not know, uh, 
wrote the Tony Award winning musical Rent, which played for 12 years on Broadway. Tick, Tick, Boom is a musical uh, one-man show which Jonathan Larson wrote prior to Rent, which describes his creative process as a independent struggling musician and musical composer in New York City. Tick Tick Boom tells his story. It's it's autobiographical. And Andrew Garfield is just wonderful in the and in the role, in the performance. And a, tri a you know triple threat, you know, singing, dancing, playing the piano, I mean, you name it. Um But as you can imagine, because this is about the artistic process, one of the threads going through the narrative and through his, his story is the thread of writer's block, of, of there's a song he needs to write there's a song that's missing from the end of act two it's the it's the song that that will link the 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 first two acts of the musical to the to the crucial third act it's the bridge it's it's the emotional center point on which the entire thing will pivot And every time he sits down to write it, he just looks at a blank screen and a blinking cursor. And it just does, it just doesn't come. It just won't, it won't come. And this is a fellow who, who, who can write songs about sugar in a, in an afternoon. He'll write a, he'll write a song with lyrics and music about, you know, and, and uh, when, when one of his mentors asks him, well, why do you do that? Why did you do that? He says, because I could, because it keeps me sharp, because it, 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 it keeps me, you know, it's like, it's like pumping iron or whatever, right? It, it works the muscle. So it's not like he's can't be creative. It's not like he's lost the creative spark, but he can't write that song. <laughs> the song that he needs to write, it doesn't come. And he's got this, this, this workshop coming up, right? He's got a workshop coming up and the clock is ticking. And herein lies the, the, the theme and how this ties into the very title of the work, Tick, Tick, Boom. And we won't tell you about the boom because, you know, in show business and as in life, as in all things, things can explode 
in one of two ways. <laughs> uh, and sometimes explosions are a double-edged sword. Uh, suffice it to say, the clock is ticking. His entire thing rests on, on getting this song. <laughs> and every time he sits down to write it, it's a blinking cursor on his, on his Macintosh. And of course, there's all kinds of fallout from this, right? What do we do when we're looking at a screen and all that is staring back at us is a blinking cursor? How does that make us feel? When we look up at the clock, doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter who we are. We're we're here now. We're we're we exist as a temporal being, even if even if that temporary state of existence is illusionary, and even if the clock on the wall doesn't signify much of anything. Time for us is very real, even if it doesn't exist. It doesn't matter for us in our temporary temporal experience. It's a real phenomenon. Remember, we have to be practical. If you're playing a video game, your character plays according to the rules of the game. Not real world rules. There's no point in playing a video game and expecting the game to respect the rules of real life. So when you're in the game, you have to play by the rules. And in this universe of 3D temporal reality, time is very real. It is a commodity. It is both an asset and a liability. That doesn't mean that we need to dwell on it and, and obsess over it, obsess over the future, obsess over the past. That's not what we're saying. But anyone who has ever felt any sorts of any sort of urgency and have stared up at the clock, tick, 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 and then stared at the screen and it's just a blinking cursor, or stared at the page and it's just a blank page, or a blank sheet of uh, sheet music, and it's just the the like that beautiful line from Amadeus. It's just a it's just a cage, right? There's no meticulous ink strokes on your cage. It's just a cage, the sheet music, the blank sheet music. Or an artist who's looking at a blank canvas and it's blank. Or his sketchbook is empty, whereas he could fill sketchbooks, lifetimes worth of sketchbooks, he might have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sketchbooks filled every page, but now nothing. What, what then? What do we do? We're going to pause for a moment and we're going to do uh, some housekeeping. For starters, we're going to go through some of these chats that have been um, uh, these comments that have been going and we are also going to share the link 
to tonight's live stream. And any of you with a, uh, a camera and or a microphone uh, who wish to jump in and join our live stream, please feel free to do so. As we've mentioned, uh, we've done this, uh, this interactive uh, format. We did it last Friday. We tried it again on Monday. And uh, we're going to just for the time being, we're just going to throw it open to um, anyone who wants to pop on. But we're not going to make a big deal out of it. So if nobody wants to, you don't have to. Don't be. Don't feel like you have to. But if you want, it's feel free to 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 pop on. Jamie says, "Hello and God bless you and your work." Uh, thank you, Jamie. And he says, "Hello to you, Atlas. God bless you and the work you do for humanity." Thank you. It's our pleasure, it's our passion, it's our honor, and it's our privilege. That's the truth. That's the God honest truth. There's nothing we'd rather be doing. And there's nothing we can't. There's nothing else we can or should be doing than than this, and everything else we do for humanity, which we'll be doing more of as we move forward. And we'll get to the we'll get to why that is soon. Uh, Elateria says movies stink these days. <laughs> Completely devoid of inspiring stories. Where could one go for inspiration? Archangels? Um, so our, uh, our discussion tonight um, should alert you to the fact that, yes, uh, surely most, most movies stink. Um, most movies stink. And surely that's the case. But remember that God works with the clay that's on the wheel. And, and even among a field of chaff, there, there, is always, there is always some wheat, okay? That we can always find uh, a diamond in the rough. And there's so many different cliches and whatnot which describe uh, this phenomenon that... This phenomenon that that even though most of what we see um, made in modern uh, filmmaking is uh, is is trash, we have these uh, these exceptions to the rule. And we so we were talking about this movie, Tick Tick Boom, and it is beautifully and wonderfully inspirational even though it's a slice of life film and it's it's so down to earth it's so grounded in the base reality of it all plato would say it borderlines or maybe he plato would just call it outright a vulgarity because it's real life on the stage except 
except that it's a musical. It has this dreamlike musical quality, like the film about uh, um, about Elton John's life, uh, Rocket Man. And Rocket Man, it's a, it's an autobiographical film, but it's but it's a musical film. It has that dreamlike quality where his songs, his music, become these musical numbers inside of the film itself so it's that's breaking up the reality of this of this um biography despite the fact that things like the costumes and of course the songs the events a lot of them are very 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 true to life but there's this there's this theatrical musical quality to it and so plato as disgruntled as he as he might be, that that it is so grounded in reality, he would not be able to argue against the musicality of it and the operatic, the musical theater aspects of the film, which takes it to a different level, a dreamlike level, uh, a, a space of imagination, a space of of heightened reality, because of course in music and in lyric we have the capacity to uh, reach truths which which straight up dialogue on its own couldn't could not necessarily uh, attain there's there's these emotional truths and universal truths which that's why opera is is uh, the highest form of certainly performance art because of all the the amalgamation of all of these different um, phenomena to produce this 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 hyper reality this this alternative surreal experience that we call opera or musical theater or what have you and this is a this is a film from 2021. But having said that, we agree with you, Elefteria. Most movies stink these days. In fact, another film that we could talk about uh, that also came out in 2021 that is based on a sublimely esoteric and psychological uh, work was Dune, Denis Villeneuve's Dune. <clears throat> and it was probably... I mean, it was probably one of the most, there's a word, uh, verisimilitude, it means true to life, 
it was this incredible production. It was an incredible filmmaking achievement in filmmaking. But it left us, it left us wanting. Now, what do we mean by that? It was technically brilliant. It was shot magnificently. The art direction was excellent. The acting was, in most cases, very good. It was an excellent film. But it, it lacked the essence, the heart and soul of Dune was missing. It was, it was sterile. It was technically and clinically perfect. But it was, it was barren. Like Arrakis itself. Now, are we being unfair because it's only the first half of the book? It's only Dune Part 1? Perhaps. But when we went back and watched the, uh, the David Lynch Dune from 1984, we made an effort to pay particular attention to the first half of the film. And it was much warmer. It was much more voluptuous. It was much more immersed and seeped in the lore and the magic and the myth of a Frank Herbert's masterpiece. It was, it was, it was perhaps overdone. <laughs> it was perhaps a little bit too flamboyant and too over the top as David Lynch has been known to be, but we can easily forgive him for that when he was trying to bring to the screen a work that uh, was widely believed to be unfilmable, that, that Dune was unfilmable. So, in general, we would agree with you, Aleteria, movies stink these days, even good ones. Right? Because you can have a really, really good movie, again, like Dune, that leaves you empty, that leaves empty inside. In which case, what was the point? There was no if if it's not if it doesn't, I would prefer to watch a half-baked, half-ass, low budget, bad special effects, uh uh you know, technically inferior movie from 1984 that embodies the soul of a narrative, of a mythology, of a story, than the 2021 technically perfect film 
that seems to be completely devoid of that soul. And this is the world that we live in today these days, isn't it? If you, if you were to speak to my brother, my older brother is very passionate about automobiles. He, he, loves, he loves automobiles and he loves the thrill of driving and, the, and just the joy of driving. This is one of his passions in life. And he suffers from the reality that with each and every passing year, automobiles are becoming more and more technically superior. They practically drive themselves already, right? But when, when you talk about sports cars and the joy of driving, one of the joys of driving is the feeling of connectedness that an older sports car and a simpler design that simpler times, you know, rack and pinion steering or just simple hydraulic steering, the one-to-one -one connection between the steering wheel and the and the and the the turning wheels on the road. It gives you this 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 connection to the road, the connection through the machine, man and machine as one. But modern cars have so much electronics in them. They have so many computer systems and traction control and an intelligent all-wheel drive and torque vectoring systems and all kinds of stuff that's that separates the driver from the road because all of these electronic systems are not analog they're digital and you cannot directly feel the road through the wheels through the steering wheel anymore there's no feedback and if there's no feedback it's like it's you there's there's something in the in the driving experience which is lost the essence of the joy of driving is 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 it's it's sanitized it's taken out of that experience and so my brother and sister-in-law one of the things that they did in 2021 is they bought a pair of motorcycles. <laughs> My brother, who I he was, I never saw him interested in motorcycles, as far as I know, ever in his life. And all his adult life was always, you know, he always had sports cars of one form or another. But now, him and his his wife are now riding and enjoying when they want to go out for they go out for a ride on their motorcycles and now they can get that feeling again that analog connection that that feeling with the road the feeling of the wind in their in their face in their hair or, or whatever the case may be but i mean there's that there's there's that joy now returning to their to that analog experience which they which he used to be able to get uh driving his uh, sports cars now that's we we share that as a as just a an example of the degeneration and how technology people think of technology as this constant progress 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 but there's an example and look at look at the uh, look at vinyl records look at how vinyl has made such a huge comeback because there is something about the sound of a vinyl record. There's that 
analog. There's, there's, there's something more visceral and real to it. You know that in digital recordings, they in, in, in CDs, compact discs, and then certainly in MP3s and all that iPod stuff and everything, it's, there's a lot of information that's discarded. And then the rationale for discarding that uh, information, they call it compression. The rationale for discarding all that extra information is, well, the human ear can't hear it. Those are frequencies beyond what the human ear can hear. Yeah, but what about the rest of us? What about the subtle bodies? What about the energetic bodies? What about, what about all? There's a warmth to hearing live music or to, or to listening to vinyl records where you can feel those frequencies, even if you can't hear them, hear them technically, audibly. But when you listen to live music, or when you listen to a vinyl record through a very good stereo system, through analog, uh, uh, and that analog music is translated via analog technology into sound again, and all of those frequencies are being reproduced, even the, even the ones that you can't audibly hear, but you can feel it. You can feel it. This is what so-called audiophiles are all about and all these, this, this, this rage in vinyl and the resurgence in vinyl because something was lost in the MP3 generation, in the digital generation. So nowadays, movies with all of the digital technology and all the other stuff that they, and all the intellectualism and everything that brings to the table, but the reason why they stink, if they stink, or when they stink, the reason why they stink is because there's no soul. The essence, the heart, the soul is missing. Doesn't matter how exciting it is, doesn't matter how dramatic it is, it doesn't matter whatever, if it, if it has no soul, then it's it's nothing, it's empty, it's complete, it's, it's, it's void. If it doesn't speak to us on that level. But that's so much of life today, that's so much of the world today. This superficial, material, technocratic, right? It's like, like modern design, whatever. You go into somebody's kitchen and you feel like you're in, in an abattoir. There's no warmth. It's cold. Everything is stainless steel or black and white and, and everything is like, it's perfect. Oh, it's so minimalist. It's so clean. It's clean design. Modern designers will talk about it. it's so clean. It's so, it's, so, it's so minimalist. It's so whatever. Well, listen, we used to live in Japan. We were in Zen Buddhist temples and shrines and monasteries. The very birth of minimalist design. But we can tell you, not a single Zen shrine, temple, or monastery that we went into in Japan was cold. Not a single one. Why? Why? Because they had the good sense 
even if it was all about stripping away the unnecessary, right? And having no attachments, right? And having no identifications and stripping down like Zen. We're talking about Zen Buddhism here. And like everything being stripped down to its essence. But the essence was, was wood and paper, paper walls and wood beams and tatami mats. Everything was alive. All the beams were upright. The same way the trees were growing in the forest, that's how the, that's how the pillars in those buildings were oriented. That's why wood in Japan, despite it being one of the most uh, uh, damp uh, countries in the world, there's so much moisture and everything, but the, but the wood in those, in those uh, wooden temples and shrines doesn't warp. The reason why wood warps, it's not because of moisture. It's none of those things. Wood warps because in the rest of the world, they cut the tree down. And the wood inside the tree is still, still trying to grow upward. It can still feel the gravity. It's bent over and it wants to grow towards the light. So it warps. Japanese carpenters know this. And they orient the wood accordingly. In other words, um, um, the wood they use for beams or growing from uh, are they they cut from branches, not from the trunk. They only use the trunk for pillars. There's look into just Google Japanese carpentry, and you can spend hours watching videos on YouTube about Japanese carpentry. But there again, in the heart and soul, the birth of modern minimalist design. You go there, it was hundreds of years ago. But it's warm. Even, even in Zen gardens that are just rocks and, and gravel, and, and it's warm, it's alive. This, the essence, the soul is there. The whole point of minimalism is to strip away the superfluous to get to the essence. But to a modern Western ego intellect, they just look at the surface and they say, oh, let's make the clean design. And so what do they do? They create what looks and feels like an abattoir, like a laboratory. You're not cooking a meal for your loved ones. It's you're, you're, you're doing molecular cuisine. You're making some sort of scientific experiment with food. That's what you feel like. That's what you're doing in one of those kitchens. So when you say movies stink this way, stink today, Aleftheria, you're talking about a phenomenon which is right across the board. It doesn't matter what you look at. Take a cross-section of any phenomenon and you will find in the vast majority of the human experience, the soul, the essence has been has been sanitized and that reality has been has been stripped away for some facade which is aesthetically more pleasing or or aesthetically more correct from a design perspective from a design philosophy right 
but it's there isn't a single building you can find anywhere in the world built in the last 20 years which can hold a candle to la sagrada familia and how you feel when you when you walk into gaudi's masterpiece we know because we've been there and it was conceived over 150 years ago and it'll be another 50 years before it's done and there's nothing any modern architect with all of their design technology and everything else can do to match the design and engineering accomplishments of that building which is so inc incredibly it is it is the pure expression of essence of soul of true beauty of truth it is a living, breathing word of God in stone and glass and form. It's it is a it's truly one of the one of the wonders of the, the man-made wonders of the world. And you can have your Guggenheim museums and you can have your Sydney opera houses and you can have all that modern architectural nonsense. It's heartless and it's soulless. If the Sydney Opera House wasn't an opera house, it would be it would be a uh, it would be an airplane hangar or, or some other storage uh, thing. It would just be this big empty space, right? The only thing that gives a Sydney Opera House real soul is the fact that it's an opera house. Is that the music inside brings it to life? Same with things like the Guggenheim Museum and everything else. Yeah, you look at it, you go, oh, yeah, okay, that's nice, but the, the the heart and soul of it is is what what's inside. Right, you very quickly forget the facade. Right, when you go to when you experience something like La Sagrada Familia, there is no facade. There is no facade. There is only pure expression of the the. the it is an embodiment. It, it is a living, breathing temple, like the Zen shrine or the Zen temple, which is stripped down to this bare minimalist everything. But the bare, but the whole point of it is to bring out that essence, that soul, that foundation, that which is real, that which you feel here with every fiber of your being, and that you know and you connect to, and you really don't really care what's on the surface. It's like when you meet your soulmate, you fall in love. It's like you fall in love with, and their and their 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 external form. For you, is just the perfect expression of the soul that you're falling in love with. Or when you look at nature, and you see that songbird, that canary or whatever, that's singing its song. And you just look and you see the beauty and perfection of nature. You're not going to start deconstructing it on on its on on some aesthetic level, like the like the uh, ignorant intellectuals might. So all of that plays into when we talk about movies stink these days and why they stink. Genevieve says a lot of work, really hard to destroy the ego mind. Worse than I thought. Um. Harder than you thought. Harder than you thought. One of the greatest lessons to be learned that you keep learning is gratitude. 
a way of communicating your appreciation with source, even when you can't quite seem to click on all cylinders. That you're still thankful for the gifts you've been given and the glandular whole, granular whole of the workings of the path. Tonight's live stream wouldn't exist in this form had we not been stuck. As we mentioned in our talk about waiting in the dark and being lost in the desert, the delay works in our favor. When we see the opportunity in the challenge, in the obstacle, on the surface, it's an obstacle. But every obstacle is a baffle. It's just a baffle. Life is baffling. And in overcoming the obstacle, we become stronger. But not every obstacle. If, if we observe water, and if we observe how water copes with baffles, and what water does, Water swirls and it, it swirls in on itself before it, before it passes. It, it, it allows itself to be stopped by the baffle and it turns in on itself and it spirals in on itself. And it's that spiral motion that creates living structured water. If the water just hit the baffle and then went up and over the baffle, then it wouldn't become structured living water. It must go through this spiral motion. It must go through the alm of life, the hero's journey. And it keeps facing that baffle and it keeps swirling around until it's ready to overcome it. And it won't overcome it until it's ready because that's how it works. That's how physics work. That's how the alm of life works. Think about any other thing, any other obstacle that you're bumping up against. If you are a pianist, there's a, there's a wonderful film. Uh, Jeffrey Rush stars in it. And the name of the Shine, the film is called Shine, starring Jeffrey Rush. And there is a, it's about a musician uh, and uh, who suffers from, uh, let's call it mental, mental illness, mental challenge. And there's a part of the film when a young Jeffrey Rush, the same character that Jeffrey Rush plays, but as a, as a young man at Juilliard or whatever, whatever musical academy he's studying at, and uh, Sir John Gilgood, the actor Sir John Gilgood, is his 
mentor and his his um, his instructor, and he's trying to learn a piece by Rachmaninoff. Now Rachmaninoff is famously or infamously composed some of the most difficult and challenging piano concertos in all of the classical pantheon. And it's the Rachmaninoff's fifth piano concerto in whatever, whatever uh, note, A, D, whatever. Uh, we're not a musician, so we, we wouldn't know these things, uh, the details. But it's the Rock Five. That's what it's called, the Rock Five. Rachmaninoff's fifth piano concerto. And this young fellow has chosen this to be his, his graduating, his final exam, is to, is to play this piano concerto in concert. And the film Shine, that first act of the film, is about this young man bumping up against the wall of the Rachmaninoff, Rachmaninoff's fifth piano concerto. And it's like water that's caught in this whirlpool at this baffle. It's going around and around and around and around and around and around. And it seems hopeless. But each time that water is becoming a little more structured and a little more alive and it's going a little bit more into the center, into the center, into the center, and center, and getting, and it finally gets to the point where he can break through and get over that baffle. And when he finally overcomes this hurdle, there's a profound transformation that takes place in him as a character and in his life. And his life is never the same. And that's what the, the film pursues as a, as a film. And the question that the film asks is, did the, did the Rachmaninoff fifth concerto, did it free this young man so that he could shine or did it break him? And it's really up to you as the viewer to decide that for yourself. But the bottom line is that that transformation was only made possible because of that struggle. And when we meditate and when we remember our divine mother and we remember that our divine mother is she who orchestrates all of the tests and trials and ordeals that we face in life including the walls the baffles that make life baffling to us and all the struggles and the tests that we face including the tests of patience the test of faith tests of faith We realize with that with great gratitude, like everything which we have spoken tonight was born of the fact that we had absolutely no idea what to say tonight. We had no idea where this would go. All we would do is start off talking about how we had how we were stuck, how our back was to the wall, 
and how we were facing a wall. And now we are nearly an hour and 10 minutes into this live stream. And we have shared, uh, and we started talking about this film even before we read LFTeria's comment about how there are no good films. We had already shared our, uh, our, our feelings and about the inspirational film Tick, Tick, Boom, which you can watch on Netflix if you have a Netflix membership. So yes, gratitude. Have an attitude of gratitude. Remember your Divine Mother. Remember that the obstacles that we face are there for a reason. They're a gift. They're a gift. And all we have to do is receive that gift and embrace that gift. And the, the answers will come. What we need to do will come when we learn how to be. When we learn how to be done. As right now in this moment, we are being done. We are simply allowing. We are being like water. We are allowing. We are going with the flow. We're not resisting anything. We're not trying to control anything. We're not trying to premeditate anything. We're not concerned about what other people think. There's no destination for us to arrive at. Nothing. We're simply flowing. Like Bruce Lee said, be like water. Be like water. Genevieve says, raising a child and destroying the ego mind in the same time is a struggle. I don't know how to deal with my child crisis no more. It's a challenge. Um, certainly, without getting into any details or specifics, um, children test our patience. And but children are also tremendously, depending on the age, <laughs> um, children are remarkable, beautiful, and magical in their innocence. And they're also hilarious in, the, in, in their, the, what their imaginations can come up with and how they're exploring and discovering the world for the first time and everything is new to them. And so certainly... But they are also mirrors to us. They will often have many of our traits and many of our defects and vices. In the same way, which you have probably noticed, if you are honest with yourself, how your family members, siblings, and parents can trigger you more than the average stranger on the street can and that is because you all share similar karmic burdens and you all share similar ego similar defects and vices so you so everybody's everybody experiences this in their family with without exception nobody can drive you crazy more than the people you love most it's just it's just a fact the greater the connection you have on that heart level, the greater the energetic connection. That energetic connection includes all of the energy, all the soul, all the consciousness, which is bottled up inside those egos. 
And so you have this tendency, we have this tendency to be triggered by and to trigger our family members. Nobody drives us crazy more than our own family members. So as a parent, logically, naturally, your kids are going to drive you crazy too, especially when they start getting into their teenage years and they start to rebel and they start to want to become their own person, their own thing. And all of a sudden they want to do things. All of a sudden they're not listening to you anymore. They're not, they're not, you know, you can't control them anymore. And this desire to control, this desire to control comes from fear, which, which we understand is a very, very, very strong animal nurturing instinct to be afraid for one's children, to be afraid of what might happen to them. And it is, we know fear. We know what it's like to live with the demon of fear. We know how difficult it can be to fight that demon and to live with that demon. And to manage one's fear in relation to one's child, the only answer to that is to awaken, is to be conscious to transform your fear into conscious awareness. Yes, there are dangers. Yes, we must take precautions. But those we must take those precautions out of awareness, out of practicality, not out of fear, not out of a desire to control. Simply out of an awareness of the danger and that way and if we are free in our expression of that and we raise our children in that expression and we raise them to be conscious of dangers without being afraid without being paranoid then we will not fall into the trap of control and our children will have nothing to rebel against. They will have no reason to rebel against us because what children rebel against is parents trying to control them. And a teenager wants to be free. So if you're not trying to control your child, your child is free. You've just brought your child up, even that teenager, to be aware and conscious of the dangers and to remain aware and conscious of and to take precautions. But you're not trying to control them. There's a, that's the difference between consciousness and fear. Because fear is sleep. Fear is unconsciousness. And you might argue, but the end result is the same. But that's the difference. The one, you're sleeping and your child is asleep. And the other is you are awakening and there's a much better chance that you will help your child awaken. Joel says, naturally, the elimination of those aggregates is performed in a progressive manner since many of them are processed within the 49 levels of the subconscious. This means that any psychological defects 
is represented by thousands of psychic aggregates that are begotten and developed within the 49 subconscious levels of the mind. And we have a sense that Joel L is responding to Genevieve's comment about how difficult the work is and how it's really hard to destroy the ego. And Joel L is correct, is because when we say we need to comprehend and eliminate an ego, we don't just mean we eliminate fear once and that's it. It's as Joel L describes it here. We have many, many, many versions of that ego. That ego is the psychological aggregates are spread out and they, there are levels and levels and levels and levels and levels of the mind. And each level, there are those egos operating at different levels. So in our case, for example, we still struggle with the demon of, of, of fear and that demon is still able to cause us depression and it's still able to cause us to, uh, to, to cause us the discomfort and anxiety and depression that, that causes us to um, abuse food. So to use food as a, as a drug, as a coping mechanism. So emotional eating, uh, let's simply put, simply put, our emotional eating is caused by our demon. And he still has occasionally the power to do that. In addition to some other uh, less flattering or even more, uh, you know, more personal, uh, even deeper levels where fear and the desire to control is co there's coercion. Remember that we have mentioned, especially in our article on fear, how fear is the great chameleon and the great con artist. Not only can fear express itself or co fear does uh, transforms into anger. In other words, fear and anger have this coercive relationship where fear very quickly turns into anger or the desire for control turns into anger. Likewise, fear and lust can have a very intimate dynamic and the desire to control and dominate uh, it has an intimate relationship with, with lust. And we can see that expressed rather unfortunately in probably 99% of pornography and in a great many uh, soft porn and so-called erotica and what's considered and there's an entire sub there's an entire subculture of eroticism around domination and submission well all of that all of that is bundled up and and all of that on the surface it appears to be harmless innocence erotica that's how it has been sold to humanity, but beneath it is fear. The desire to control or 
the desire to be controlled. The desire to be dominated. In other words, the desire to be submissive, the comfort and security Which, and the, the familiarity, because remember the law of opposites, just like shame is the flip side of pride, to be submissive is the flip side of the desire to dominate. And it's expressed through lust through erotica and eroticism. But make no mistake, that's fear. That's fear. Fear is the great chameleon, the great con artist. Fear weasels its way into everything and is able to express itself through any number of egos. Because the existential threat. Fear is the primal, mechanical, reactive program designed to, designed as the, the failsafe against death, against the existential threat. The threat to the mechanical being, the self, the false self. It's exist every existential threat to the false self. Fear is the failsafe. Fear is what leaps into action. So even though we can say lust is the mother of all egos. Because there's desire for comfort and security and desire for notoriety, desire for fame, desire for fortune, desire for food, desire for, right? It's all, it's all desire. It's all lust. But fear as the reactive program and failsafe against existential threats if it becomes proactive, then it is what drives existence of all of the other egos. In other words, i.e. the desire to control outcomes or the desire to relinquish responsibility and have the comfort of being submissive. That's fear. Because one relinquishes responsibility when one doesn't want to face and doesn't want to deal with stepping up to the plate. One is happy to sit at the back of the class, never raise one's hand, never don't rock the boat. Just just let, you know, just just be a follower. That's why we see, and there's many, 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 many people who follow blindly. Just look at the COVIDiacy. Look at the world we live in today. When we say the COVIDiacy is a referendum on fear and that fear is the true pandemic, 
look at how many people, the vast majority, have just fallen into line. They're just happy to do what they're to do what they're told. Submissive, submissive, and why? Because they're afraid. Because they desire the comfort and security. So again, coming back to Joel L's comment here, when we talk about any ego, fear, lust, greed, pride. And when Joel L. mentions the 49 levels of the mind, we have to realize that in each one of those minds, we're talking, each one of those levels of the mind, we're referring to a different frequency, a different vibration, and that those egos are expressing themselves at those different octaves. And they're vibrating at those different frequencies and they're uh, functioning in those different octaves. And the result, the effect, mentally, emotionally, physically in our machine is going to be different and the the flavor the the expression is going to be different in the same way that sound vibrating at different octaves creates different musical notes and then when you organize those notes vibrating at different octaves on different scales on different octaves then then you have a complete song and then you have a complete you have, a, you have a complete phraseology, you have a complete language, musical language. So these different egos working at different uh, levels can create very clever, very sophisticated programs which run in our subconscious mind, but more than that, can surface into our conscious awareness and become those clever and subtle voices in our head telling us to do this, coaxing us to do that. Like Smeagol and Gollum having their arguments like we've talked about in our, uh, in our lives that we, we talked about last week and that we, we spoke again about on Monday. Serena says, this is the anthem for my approaching exams session. Thank you so much for releasing it today. Uh, you're welcome. Here again is the link. If anybody wants to come and jump online, feel free to do so. This is in the, uh, in the chat. We will post it again in the chat. So it's right at the bottom. Uh, I don't know. Can we pin these things to the top? No. Uh, we can. Oh, maybe we can. We can. We we can put stars next to uh, these these links. We don't know what uh, effect that has ultimately, but anyway. Okay. So Genevieve says movies like Don't Look Up normalize the dystopia in which we live. Don't look. Are we familiar with that? Don't look up. Let's see.
based on truly possible. So we're not familiar with this. Oh, wait, wait. This is the, uh, someone just told us about this film that we need to watch this film. So uh, we're going to watch this tomorrow night. And if it is as significant as we've been told it is, then uh, we might be talking about it on Friday. Remember, Genevieve, that the filmmaker who made this film, Don't Look Up, and uh, this is not the best. Uh, can we make this bigger? Um, anyway, we can share the screen here. This, is, this isn't going to be the best, but there's the... Uh, it's, this is also on Netflix, by the way. Um, The filmmaker who made this movie also made The Big Short. And he's made other films like Moneyball and he makes these movies as a commentary on the dystopian nature society. Not to normalize it, but to reveal it, to show the the insanity of it to 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 show it's 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 satire it's like what it's what it's what like socrates used to do and why they ended up killing socrates because he was such a thorn in everybody's side because socrates relished in lifting the veil on the on the flaws, the 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 hidden defects and vices of of uh, Greek society, Athenian society, and Socrates was unabashedly lifting their toga, so to speak. And of course, people are ashamed, right, when they have their toga lifted in public, so they feel ashamed. They don't like being exposed. Nobody likes being exposed, so they they killed Socrates. Because nobody likes the truth. And there's that quote, is it Plato? Plato, who was, of course, a student of Socrates, said, there is no one more hated than he who speaks the truth. This was Plato. This was like how many thousands of years, hundreds of years? Oh, we're, no, we're terrible with dates. But, but, but this is before Christ. In the time Socrates was put to death because he was speaking the truth. So this was this is all it's always been this way. So films like this, we haven't seen it, so we'll withhold judgment, but we're going to see watch it tomorrow night. Our intuition about it, we've seen we've seen the trailer is that it's a biting satire to the system and those in power and their complete ignorance and their complete uh, and their procedures and their their the, the way they do things and talk about things and present themselves in this completely dysfunctional way that is completely uh, antithetical to action, real action. It's from that's our that's our our intuition on watching the trailer as to what this is about and we have 
you know, just based on the track record of this filmmaker, this uh, this director, um, and how he handled the big short, the big short was not in any way, shape, or form, uh, what would you call, um, glorifying the stock market or glorifying the investment world. On the contrary, it was revealing that ugly, uh, uh, dark, um, and corrupt nature of that entire system. And uh, this film seems on the surface, at least, to be heading in that direction. And we'll maybe have more to say about it on Friday. Um, Dylan Whiting says, I watched the movie Noah the other night with Russell Crowe. It was good. My friends said they won't watch it because their grandfather was a preacher and said to avoid spiritual movies for their lack of accuracy. Win some and you lose some, I guess. Um, for us, Noah was a mixed bag uh, just for a number of reasons, personal reasons, but the the difficulty with Hollywood adaptations of biblical stories is that they really have no choice but to but to take a literal interpretation of the stories and it's much of the esoteric uh essential meaning of the symbols and allegories gets lost in the action and the drama and the special effects and the the, the surface story in a film, the surface story overwhelms the imagination because it's so, especially in modern day films, it's so visceral and it's so, and, and Noah was very, you know, it was like an, it was like a disaster. It was like a big action disaster movie type thing. And with the, you know, and with the, the Titans and there's this big rock creatures and, you know, and there's all the computer animation and everything else. Um, there is a, uh, an article on, um, on Gnostic teachings, which gets, which goes into the esoteric, it's all about Noah, but it's all about the, the esoteric, the, the, the symbols. Okay. Yeah. Here it, it's, um, two two lectures okay and they're from the uh kabbalah of genesis course and we'll give you the uh the the link here to the first uh lecture it's called the ark of noah and um if you if you want to dive deep into the symbolism of uh the story of noah uh look no further than that lecture i mean we've done our own we we've just in very very small ways discussed the ark in reference to the tree of life but um for us one of the most magical moments of noah is when noah meets the old man 
who, uh, if we're not mistaken, was played by Anthony Hopkins, if we recall correctly. And if you remember that scene, Dylan, and if you remember the way Anthony Hopkins behaved and his face and the way he smiled and the way he spoke and that that was magical to us and why we don't write the film off altogether we 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 really dove deep into and we could could, could extract a lot of the meaning of the symbols and allegories because in that movie the way anthony hopkins was acted and behaved and was made up with the makeup and and the hair and everything um that is what atlas looks like that is how atlas appeared to us in the supernal worlds very very similar very similar in 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 it just it just it was just another for us it was another breadcrumb that that this movie about noah and the old man is what is there's this there's this connection between Noah and this old man and after he meets the old man Noah goes off and he's it, it it propels Noah forward on his journey in much the same way that that when we met our innermost being in the astral plane that experience propelled us forward on our journey and it just so happens that we that Atlas is an arc builder, that we are, we are an arc builder. And we've done this before in Atlantis, which is what the story of Noah is about. <laughs> so our, our appreciation for that film, again, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag because for all its faults or for all its shortcomings, it touched us in such a deep, deep personal way based on our own experience. And, if any of you are interested in knowing what Atlas looks like, Atlas doesn't look like this. This is Attila, right? This is not Atlas. If you want to know what Atlas looks like, we can't take a picture of Atlas, right? Because we can't take a camera with us into the astral plane. We can't take a selfie with Atlas. But if you want to know what Atlas is like, watch Noah with Russell Crowe and pay attention to the scene with Anthony Hopkins, the old man. And, and if you want to know what it was like meeting our innermost being, if you want to know what it was like when, when we met Atlas, watch that scene and realize that that scene took, took me back and took, took us back to that experience. It was like we were watching ourselves meeting Atlas on the screen in this movie about Noah. <laughs> uh, so, all right, well, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So again, coming back to Gen Vive and what Eleteria said about modern movies being uh, stink. Yeah, modern movies stink for the most part, for the most part, but never underestimate the diamonds in the rough. We've spoken about Man of Steel before. Uh, the, uh, the, the Zack Snyder uh, Superman movie. 
And at the end of Man of Steel, we sat in the theater bawling our eyes out for the entire duration of the credits. Tears of sheer joy. Tears of sheer joy. Because Man of Steel, Superman, is a true human being in the Iron Age. That's why he is the Man of Steel. The Man of Iron. A true human being. He's, but he's... He's he's the physical embodiment of the Christified human being. And he's walking the path of the Bodhisattva in that film. And the three adversaries in that film, Zod and uh, the other two, which... Ugh, can't remember. Zod and Ursula and... Thud or Gerd or whatever the, the 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 big tough guy, right? One is the mind, one is the heart, one is the body. The three adversaries, who are six six six, but Superman overcomes them. He defeats them. He overcomes the three mountains. On the on the path of initiation the path of resurrection the path of ascension so and when lois lane asks him about the s and he says it's not an s on my planet it's it's, it's the sign of hope it's the it's the sign of the house of l l means god in hebrew elohim l Ela Elohim, El God masculine, divine masculine, Ela divine feminine, and Elohim gods and goddesses. And so, over and over again, you, there are there is so much um, God is speaking to this humanity. Right, the logos, the Christ is speaking to this humanity all the time, everywhere. So let us not discount anything by saying, Oh, but that's Hollywood, or that's schlock, or that's advertising, or that's a video game, or that's this, or that's that. That's all junk, that's all garbage. Right? Follow your heart, let your heart, let your intuition guide you and, and be like water. Go with the flow. Allow things to flow into your life. When people say, you should watch this, or maybe give this a try. Maybe give this a look. Right? There's no harm in, in giving something a try. Like when someone told us, you should really check out Game of Thrones. And we did. And we watched three quarters of one episode. And what did we see? This is... This is... Dallas and soft porn uh, trying to be Lord of the Rings. And that's all we needed to see to know what Game of Thrones is and what it isn't. And that there's nothing there for us. Nothing. Zero. But we didn't know that until we 
took someone up on the offer to, to, they said, well, you should check it out. So we did check it out and there was nothing there for us. Uh, okay. Oh, sorry. Jamie asks, what is the solution if one is walking the path, but wants to have a child? My wife isn't walking the path. So Master Samael practice he recommends in the yellow book would be inappropriate for my wife who isn't in Gnosis. I hope you understand what I'm trying to ask. Yes, we do. Um, this is a... It is... It is possible for someone to practice white tantra, even if their partner isn't practicing white tantra. It is possible. It's not ideal, but it is possible. You just have to remember that, you know, if your if your wife is not uh, conducive to the process. Um, she doesn't want to have anything to do with it, then you'll have to um, do things like the prayer, uh, the you know mantra mentally, which is fine. That 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 works. <clears throat> and. The reason why Master Samael says that someone who isn't on the path should not practice white tantra is because it's possible to awaken negatively. It's possible to awaken through the ego. If you are practicing white tantra but aren't eliminating your egos, aren't meditating on your egos, then you are becoming a hastamusin. You are you are you are awakening the consciousness that's still bottled up inside the ego. You are, you are, it's, it's, you shouldn't do it. You should, you should, you should only practice white Tantra if you are on the path, if you are dedicated to, to, to transforming yourself. So, um, again, you can, the key to white Tantra is the awakening of the Kundalini, which takes place in the sexual act. So you can practice it with someone who's not practicing white tantra you can do it and in terms of having a child if you are meant to have a child you will have a child through what's called immaculate conception now the way to sell your wife on immaculate conception is this when a child is conceived through immaculate conception. And let's be clear on what immaculate conception is. You do not need 10 billion sperm to fertilize an egg. Right? 10 billion sperm are not required to fertilize an egg. One sperm is required to fertilize an egg. And if you doubt that uh, sperm 
can impregnate a woman without ejaculation simply talk to my cousin in Hungary who has seven children but they're hardened Catholics her and her husband they, they practice they, they use no birth control they use the only method of birth control sanctioned by the Catholic Church which is the pull out method and yet they have seven children but how you sell your wife on is that every child that they've had my cousin has had no pain every single birth has been so easy has been virtually no pain she she didn't have to take any tranquilizers or any of the other nonsense because if you have a child who's conceived by through one sperm without ejaculation the uh then it's it's a divine it's a it's immaculate conception it's a divinely chosen process and that child will enter into this world without the usual obstacles and without the usual suffering and struggle to enter into the world and it's funny because we just posted something about this today and uh on facebook and someone immediately responded saying oh my uh my sister or my friend or whoever it was my sister just had a baby and she was so pleased because it was born without any pain and she didn't have, which means that she she um she's so excited by that fact which we must have been an immaculate conception so this is a well-known phenomenon you can go and research it your wife can go research it um so if you are if she wants to have a child and she wants to have a child that has the best start in life then she will agree to your continued practice and simply allow and pray and tell her so if you want a child then pray pray for an immaculate conception do your part you might not be a gnostic you might not believe in all these things but you know you know try try to try to allow yourself to go there during the act itself and perhaps perhaps that experience if you're blessed with a with a conception perhaps the experience of that your wife's experience of giving birth that way perhaps that will be the experience that she needs to transform her her reality and her 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 realization that 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 there's this is there's more to this than just some religious belief that there's actual metaphysical science behind all of this behind gnosis we hope jamie that that helps you if not you can you can follow up or of course you can always contact us privately if you need some more information genevieve says stolen history the history of the world's fair about ancient designs very interesting uh we're not sure what that's 
in reference to, but okay, thank you for sharing that. Uh, there's some our links that we share and Gnostics. Genevieve says Gnostics from Qatar did not tend to have children. Uh, we don't, we'll take your word for that. <clears throat> uh, rest assured, Immaculate Conception is a real phenomenon. If those who do not conceive through Immaculate Conception are simply not meant to have a child. And it's funny because just yesterday, our father was watching something on the television and we glanced over and it was some expose, some one of these investigative investigative reports into uh, people who now are, are going through some kind of a strange existential crisis as adults when they, they discover that they were, they were the products of artificial insemination. And that when they look and they see the procedure, they, they see uh, photographs or video of the procedure taking place. And, and they, they have this like existential crisis as a result because they were artificially inseminated. They're, 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 they were artificially created. They were created ostensibly in a laboratory. Right, it was not. It was not natural. It was not supposed to happen. That's how they feel. They feel that intuitively. They feel sick to their stomach, sick spiritually, sick in their heart when they see those pictures. It's like there's no love present. There's no beauty. There's no joy when they were conceived. It's it's a it's an interesting. We haven't watched the documentary. We just saw a preview for this this investigative report or whatever. But one can easily empathize. It's not a huge leap of the imagination to put oneself in the shoes of someone who, you know, instead of looking at family photos, right? They, they, that's that's part of their family history is the, is a is a is a photo of their of their mother in a in a lying on a on a on an operating table surrounded by doctors and nurses under you know in 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 gowns and masks i mean it's 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 there's something it's something a little off there also jamie says yes your answer helped and comforted Thank you, dear friend. Okay, and he says, may I ask another lengthy question about Kundalini? Um, yes, you may ask. You may ask. Um, in the meantime, while you type it out, or if you want, you can jump on and ask in person. Um, we're going to jump back into the topic, which was what happens when your back is up against the wall or you're staring at the wall. And we said, you know, to run with it, to be water, 
to keep bumping up against the wall and, and, and spiral and just and see that wall with gratitude. That's the obstacle. And I'm going to overcome it. Why? By embracing it. By embracing the stillness, by embracing the doubt, by embracing the not knowing, embrace the mystery, surrender to it, dive deep into it, say, I'm not qualified to make it past this wall. Like the water says, I'm not qualified to make it past the baffle, so I'm going to swirl around until I'm qualified to make it past. So what did we do? We created the ad for tonight's live stream. Which has that graphic of the fellow at the typewriter and this huge pile of crumpled up paper. And we say, what do you do when inspiration fails you? And as we saved that graphic, that image, we had to give it a file name. And as we typed the file name, we always include the season number and the episode number so that for our own purposes, on our own file system on the computer, all the titles of all of the, the title screens have what have the episode number. And tonight is season two episode two and clicked 22 2022 it's 2022 this is season two episode two and as an individual not only were we blank as to what we were going to do tonight, we were blank, we've been blank on what to do in 2022. How do we move forward? What are we going to be focusing? What are we going to be doing? How are we going to be doing it? Tonight's live stream was a microcosm of how we've been facing this whole new year ahead of us. S season two, episode two, 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 22 is 2022. Tonight was the microcosm for the year ahead. And what all of us are going to accomplish and do, which is an alignment with the Logos, with our innermost intimate Christ that is aligned with our purpose for being is only going to come into being by us embracing any and all obstacles and any and all feelings of stagnation and any of, and all feelings of stuckness and writer's block and you name it, all those feelings of being lost adrift at sea stuck in the in in the marshes stuck in the in the the stuck in the deep snow unable to move not knowing what direction to go in rudderless directionless 
there are so many different symbols and allegories we could turn to for that feeling of being lost and stuck. But you can't tear down the wall and you can't climb over the wall without getting your fingers into the grooves of the bricks, of the texture of the wall. You cannot climb the sheer face of the cliff without feeling out the crevices, the cracks, the handholds, the footholds. You cannot climb the sheer face of the ice without picking and picking and picking your way into so until you have a, a grip and then you, you you move ahead and if you're water you can't get past the baffle unless you swirl around and around and around and around and around and around until finally you get to this point and you reach that point of 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 spark of of eureka of inspiration imagination revelation and then whoosh, you're over the baffle you're past it all of a sudden and then you're flowing again forward onward and upward but with renewed strength with renewed capability with renewed ability why because you embraced the baffle with gratitude with patience. You threw yourself at Rachmaninoff's fifth piano concerto over and over and over and over and over again. You sat there staring at the screen and the blinking cursor, watching the clock on the wall. Tick, 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 tick. Counting down until eventually, boom, and your life was completely transformed because you were completely transformed. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the wall was blown away. The walls were blown away. The obstacles, the whatever, what, what. All, it's just something completely revelatory happens. But it won't happen if you resist the process. You cannot have the revelation. You cannot have... A water will not become a living, structured water if it avoids the baffles, you cannot grow muscle. You cannot become big and strong if you don't lift the weight or do the reps, right? Because you can do less weight, more reps, or you can do more weight, fewer reps, right? It, it's, it's, you know, or do a little of this, a little of that. 
keep mixing it up. Keep, keep your body guessing, right? You keep your body guessing. Every time you do something in the gym, your body has to try to figure out. It's now a whole different game and the body has to adapt and the body will adapt. And the more the body has to adapt, the better the body gets at adapting, the more and better the muscle will grow. Your athleticism, same thing. You go running today, swimming tomorrow, doing something else the next day. And then, and then of course, you do some light, you maybe just do some brisk walking, right? You don't always have to beat your body up all the time. You don't have to always stretch your body out to the max. You give it, give it waves, give it, give it, go from intensity to really light intensity and throw everything. Let your body experience everything. Some, some days you just want to do yoga. Some days you just go for a walk. Some days you're going to do a hard circuit training. Sometimes you do like a straight up weight training program. Sometimes you do this kind of cardio. Sometimes you do that kind of thing, right? Well, if we, if we know all of that, and what about diet, right? What about diet? Sometimes it's not good to do intermittent fasting the same day, every the same way every day. Sometimes you should do 24 hours of eating. Sometimes you do 24 hours of fasting. Some days you do a week of fasting. Some days you do 16 hours of fasting. You mix it up. Why? So your body doesn't adapt and get into a groove and get into a rut. You don't want yourself, allow yourself to get into a rut. So sometimes if you're in a rut, even if it's a creative rut, and you've been doing the same thing over and over and over again, you've been doing it the same way, sometimes what you need is to not do anything. Sometimes what you need is a wall thrown up in front of you, something new, something different to cause you to reevaluate and introspect and be patient and be, and be grateful and embrace the obstacle, embrace the stuckness. For in the embracing of the stuckness is the solution to get past being stuck. Twenty twenty two. Two two. 22 is magical surely we don't have to explain why 11 is magical 1 1 the pillars of the tree of life So, what's 22 then? 2 11s. For us, we hope and pray that this will indeed be the year that our twin soul will appear and show up in our lives. And we can be two 11s 
and 20 is magical because 20 is two tens. Two perfect tens. And it's not by accident that our brother Jamie is asking all these questions about white Tantra because that's related. And surely all of us who are still single, who have not yet met our spouse, met our life partner, surely the feelings of stuckness and aloneness and being adrift at sea or being alone on a desert island have crept into our consciousness. And surely those of us who were very accustomed to going out in public, networking, going to going dancing, going to social clubs or cultural centers or, or religious services or what have you, and mingling with others and meeting new people that way, surely those are feeling very have been feeling very isolated and alone and locked in and locked down cloistered but 2021 gave birth among other things to this live stream that you are here watching now. And it also brought death and it brought change to some other activities that 2022 will see pretty much put, put into the grave once and for all from, from our own personal perspective as we embrace the opportunity and the potential. Now we were born on June 2nd. And we were born on June 2nd, 1973. And what's interesting is that when you add up the numbers 1973, you get 1010, 1010, which is also 11. So two tens are also 11, 1010. And then when you add two and six together, second of June, you get eight, which is the holy eight, the infinity. 2022 then for us holds a great deal of meaning and potential and i think for all of us 
and we do hope and pray that all of you will embrace whatever obstacles appear, whatever appears baffling to you in your life, what has been baffling or what is baffling presently, and just embrace it. And don't be afraid to discuss it or talk about it. Don't be afraid of who you are, really, truly, your true self, your higher self. Be like Noah, who built a boat on top of a mountain when everybody said, you're a freaking idiot. There's not a cloud in the sky. What the hell are you worried about? What are you talking about? Great flood. Everybody thought he was insane. Just as everyone in, our, in my family thinks me insane. The baffles and, and if you feel like you're not receiving the guidance, the direction, you're adrift or whatever, embrace it. Embrace the wide horizon. Embrace the direction of directionlessness. Be. Be in that zero point of infinite possibility, of infinite potential. Just, and just be aware. And just be like a child on Christmas Eve, awaiting for the miracle of Christmas morning to arrive in your life. And just, you'll have to learn to cope with the anticipation of that. But allow, embrace the knowledge and the faith and the hope and the trust that Christmas morning will come. Sooner or later, it will come. That, that night, Christmas Eve night, might seem like the longest night of your life. But embrace it. Embrace the warmth of the not knowing, of the mystery of what's in those boxes under the tree or what Santa's going to be bringing down the chimney. Embrace that. Because the gifts of your inner Christ has to deliver to you and to bring to the world through you will only happen if you embrace and surrender to the mystery of it all. And, and truly surrender and truly see yourself and that broad horizon. Don't think of yourself as adrift at sea and I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Saying, I am exactly where I need to be at the center point of infinite possibility, aware and patiently awaiting instruction, a racehorse in the starting gate. And yes, the animal in you is going to feel anxious. It's going to feel uh, stir-crazy. It's going to be chomping at the bit like racehorses do in a starting gate. But the jockeys, the jockeys have to keep that racehorse calm. Have to try to, you know, have to manage that 
that crazy horse. And they've they got to be cool and they got to be relaxed and they have to be focused and concentrated. And so you will, you, you will have to deal with that anxiety or the frustration or the depression or the boredom or all these other things. But just breathe. Just be calm. Just relax. There are many things that we do to maintain a healthy animal self, a healthy body, healthy mind, healthy emotions, right? There's many things that we can do to manage whatever, you know, boredom or anxiety or depression or, you know, there, we, can, we can go for walks, we can be in nature, we can exercise, you can, you can read books, you can read esoteric books, you can listen to esoteric lectures, you can meditate. There's many, many things that you can do. And if you have routines that you do, that you, you can do them mindfully. You can clean the house mindfully. You can do a bunch of mundane, ordinary, boring things with your heart and soul and your passion saying, you know what? I'm, if this is all I am able to do right now, locked in my home because of lockdowns, because of the Omicron variant, then let me be like a cloistered monk. Let me take this opportunity to live as a cloistered monk. So let me take this opportunity to fast. Let me take this opportunity to study esoteric books, to read those esoteric, uh, those great esoteric works that are thousands of pages, like The Secret Doctrine or The Tales of uh, uh, Beelzebub to His Grandson by Gurdjieff. These are, these are enormous esoteric books. When do we have the time to read those? When are we going to have the time to do that esoteric study? If we're going to be in the middle of doing our life's work, we're going to be focused and concentrated on that. When are we going to have time to read these esoteric books? When are we going to have time to work on ourselves, to work on our ego, if not now? When we're at home, locked in our, in our house with our family, with our pets, with our children? Who drive us crazy. Isn't that a perfect opportunity to comprehend the things inside of us that are being triggered, that are making us feel crazy, that are making us go stir crazy? Embrace, embrace what your Divine Mother gives you. Because when it seems like inspiration has failed you, Inspiration has not failed you. Inspiration is preparing you. It's giving you what you need to receive it. Because you're not ready yet for it. If you haven't received it yet. So the stuckness, is that baffle is precisely what the water needs to become alive and to become structured in order to, for it to be able to dissolve and to hold within its molecular structure the minerals which will bring life. The living water which will bring life to animals and plants and to the ocean, to the, to the, the sea life. 
Jamie asks, is it true that one has to wait until at least the age of 35 before they can awaken their kundalini? Obviously, except for special cases like Samael and Jesus. I ask this because Samael said in his book, Beyond Death, the human personality is formed during the first seven years, and at 14 years, personal energy appears and flowing domineeringly through the sympathetic nervous system, sex appears at 35 years in its transcendental form as creative emotion. It is upon reaching this uh, we're assuming there was more there, Jamie, but uh, okay. Is it true that you that 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 you can't really practice or awaken Kundalini before you're 35? We can speak from our experience. Oh, well, let, let, let's 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 just finish the thought. It is upon reaching this age that we can make what is called soul. The common man does not have a soul, or rather, he still is not a true man. He doesn't even have a soul. Okay. Again, we will respond the way we were going to respond, which was, we can speak from our own experience. We did not have the opportunity, did, did not have the knowledge of, nor the opportunity to practice White Tantra until we were in our mid-30s. We, who had been having shamadis since the age of five. Now, we did say that from our first shamadi to our, to our uh, second series of shamadis in Japan, there was a 20-year break. But at the age of 25... We were having experiences in Japan, which were, which were, I mean, uh, life-altering, life-altering spiritual experiences. Um, it would be another 10 years before... Well, we would start to learn about, let's get our facts straight here. No, no, it's, we, we began learning about white tantra and sexual alchemy in 2000, 2001, which was 20 years ago. We're 48. Yeah. 
Yeah. So roughly at the age of 35, and around that age, a few years later, a couple of years later, we were 37, 34, 20. So, in, so again, are we going to come out and say unequivocally? All we can say is that our life's journey, our life's path, and the path of the Bodhisattva, we only received knowledge of White Tantra in our mid-30s, and we were only able to begin practicing it in our mid to late 30s. And we began our blog in around in our uh, early 40s, which if you continue that chapter in uh, Samael, I'm not sure if it's that book, but when he talks about the seven year the way that our life is divided by seven years after 35 the next seven year increment is 42 and we begin our life's work we begin our our life's work at 42 and that's when atlas information was born and we began writing our first articles of a truly esoteric nature at the age of around that age and and that was um yeah so for us then the next phase will be well we'll be turning uh yeah so we'll be turning 49 this year if we've done that math math correctly We'll be turning 48 or 49 uh, this year. So we'll be approaching the next phase, whatever that next phase is. So 2022 then is a transformative year for us. Uh, Genevieve asks, is that why they want to keep us away from others to avoid people meeting friendly souls they want to divide and conquer they want to control and they want to separate they want to be able to identify the troublemakers from the submissives but the masks and the, the 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 physical distancing and they also want to be able to control and prevent mob mentality they wanted to be able to control uh prevent so when you if you if you create physical distancing then you are you are keeping so that physical distance that they've established and the the blocking of the the the, the the face and everything else turns everybody into, you know, um, NPCs, right? You know that expression, NPC. Um, soulless. Yes, yes, the eyes are the windows to the soul, but, but we cannot take for granted how much, how important 
communication we have with the with the full seeing a, a complete face. For example, being able to see someone smile. Right? A smile. A smile is such a powerful expression, as a powerful form of expression, right? The mask denies our ability to smile at one another. And the physical distancing separates us on the, the level of electromagnetic field. So you reduce the likelihood of, of uh, mob mentality. And you know the elites are, are terrified of the masses organizing and creating uprisings. So all of that is related. <clears throat> all of that is related. Now, the additional aspect of this, when you mention to avoid people meeting friendly souls, the elites, the global elites, are terrified of overpopulation. So what do you achieve when you close down uh, um, schools and businesses and churches and social gatherings, dance halls, dance clubs, nightclubs, all the places where people go to meet one another and have meetups and meet new people. And how do you meet new people if everybody has masks on? How do you, how do you, as a woman, how do you, how do you smile at someone from across the room? How can you do that if you have a mask on? First of all, how do you do that if you're locked home at home and you can't even go out? Number one. But number two, even if you do go out and you have a mask on, how do you smile at the, at the good-looking fellow at the deli counter that you often see at the grocery store? How do, you, how do you glance over? How do you give him a little coy little smile? How do you do that? How do you even know if he's a good-looking fellow if he has a mask on? And when I say good-looking, I mean good-looking to you. How do you know if you think he's cute if he has a mask on? How are you supposed to know? How is he supposed to know if he thinks you're cute? There's going to be a hell of a lot fewer babies being born <laughs> these few these these few years because of this nonsense. There's going to be a lot fewer people getting married, a lot few people getting together. Of course, naturally, because people are being kept apart. It's all related. It's all related. And yes, clearly, this is an obstacle to having the opportunity to meet like-minded souls. Now, and they're also, they're also, that's why they're also going after people on social media. And they're, then they're silencing people and they're, they're censoring people so that like-minded individuals can't, can't share the information. So that the troublemakers, the ones who are not submissive, can't share the information that would, that would pull them together. Because the offspring of those people are likewise going to be raised 
to be troublemakers. They're gonna they're not they're gonna be they're gonna be homeschooled. They're not gonna send their kids off to the indoctrination centers. They're gonna be homeschooled. They're gonna be free thinkers, they're gonna be conscious, they're gonna be awake, aware. In other words, they're gonna be dangerous. They're gonna be troublesome. They're gonna be the thorns in the side of the big machine. The big machine doesn't like loose cogs, right? The big machine doesn't like monkey wrenches in the works. The big machine likes the big machine and everybody to fall into line, all the cogs in the wheel to be in the in their in their in their place. Know your place, the big machine says. Because that's what it is, the big machine. Treya says, yes, I'm there for sure. Thank you for this tonight. You're very welcome, Treya. Genevieve says, Christmas morning, so short, like the life we live right now. Uh, yes, don't waste a moment. But having said that, take to heart what our whole conversation this evening has been about, which is if you're stuck, be stuck. Embrace the stuckness. You're not wasting your time if you are present and being. But be. Don't waste your moment obsessing over why you're not doing something. Or what you're not doing. Or how come I'm not being inspired. Or how come nothing's coming. How come the well is dry. Sit. Be. With the dry well. Be with the dry well. Be. Learn to be. And calm, patient. And just go deep inside. Go deep within. And whatever it is you do, do it as though your life depended on it. Do it as though the world depended on it. This weekend, we clean the house here. And, and this weekend, is our cleaning day is coming up. Uh, and laundry and, and all that stuff. But we, we, we clean the whole house, top to bottom. And it's our opportunity to, to make cleaning the house a, a, a spiritual act, a, 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 a religious ritual of cleaning the house, of cleansing our temple and, and devoting ourselves to that work, the work that we have to do and it's here to do it. So why not, why not do it and, and make of it this beautiful magical and, and observe ourselves and remember our divine mother and, and see it for what it is. And why cleanliness is next to godliness. And we can, we can do things like that. We can make a meal for our loved ones or our family. That same love, that same dedication, that same concentration. So what if you're not being inspired to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z? What you have to do here and now in this moment is, is, a, B, is your A, B, C, and X, Y, Z. It is your Alpha and Omega this breakfast or this dinner or this, you know, whatever. 
because life is short, right? As we said around Christmas time, every day is Christmas day. When we comprehend what Christ mass is, every day, every moment of every day is our ability to be a wise man and bring our gifts of the mind, heart, and body, the three kings, the three wise men, and bring our mind, heart, and body to the Christ, to the newborn Christ inside of us, our innermost intimate Christ. So dedicate and devote everything that we do and everything that we are in each and every moment and each and every day, and don't waste a moment. But then you don't have to worry about Christmas being so short because you will stretch Christmas out to 365 days of the year. And you will remember all the gifts that you receive, including this brick wall behind us and in front of us. The baffles. Those are the gifts of our Divine Mother. Every day is Christmas Day if only we develop the eyes to see and the ears to hear it. Jennifer says, what are some good suggestions for esoteric books for someone who is new to esotericism? That is certainly a good question. And we are going to, uh, let's see. There's actually, you know what? Let's write from Glorianne, okay? Somebody asked this, this, you know, which book to read? Yes, we have a lot of books and the teachings they provide are vast and rich. Thus, it can appear overwhelming and confusing. Yet the way to start is simple. Listen to yourself. Each person has their own needs. Thus, the only one who knows what you need is yourself. We advise you to listen to your intuition. Pick books that attract your interest. If you still cannot decide, any of the books will help you, since they all contain a breadth of knowledge. In fact, students discover that each book has levels of knowledge. Each time you read it, you find new things. Ultimately, each book is one facet of a beautifully crafted gem. To understand the teachings, it is necessary to study all of the books. Each one has a role to play in displaying to us the full perspective of the teachings. Those who only read a limited selection of the books choose to limit their understanding of the path. Therefore, we recommend that you aim to study them all consciously while practicing what they teach. There's, there's more here that you can, um, that you can read through. And then here at the bottom of the page, they have, um, some of their popular books. And by the way, the link that I just read from, I just put it in the chat. It's glorian.org slash books. And our more they say their most popular books are The Perfect Matrimony, uh, The Gnostic Bible, The Great Rebellion. They have The Eternal Tarot, The Yellow Book, Revolutionary Psychology. Okay. So my answer to you, our answer to you, is that... Um, 
revolutionary psychology and the great rebellion are perhaps actually revolutionary psychology the great rebellion and the yellow book are probably three good books to start with but you can also turn to books such as um what is it how to attain uh how to attain higher worlds by rudolf steiner uh the books of manly p hall are good but in addition to that uh we would we would say that in addition to that our journey through gnosis our, we read the the teachings of buddha so we came to gnosis through through uh buddhism and taoism so we read the tao te ching uh, so we read some of the and we read a lot of prophecy and we read uh the bible and uh literature and you know and and so we we came to gnosis from that direction reading some of the original texts and then gnosis proper we were introduced to through the gnostic lectures the gnostic the uh, the podcasts the gnostic instructors and if you go to this link which is uh again we're posting it in the uh, chat um the link is uh called knowledge is power and get get started with introductory articles and if you you scroll down you read these you have a number of articles here okay which will give you this overall background and then you have this um then from here okay again this will link you to the books but then here you have the courses and for us yes the books are valuable and yes we encourage you to to read the books but for us for our purposes um we found the courses on Gnostic teachings to be excellent. We did read our share of books. Now, we haven't read all of Samael's books, and we've mentioned why that is. And we haven't gone through all the courses, and we've mentioned why that is. And yes, the people at Glorian can have their beliefs and opinions around why it is important to read everything. But they forget that even before he disincarnated, Master Samael said to his disciples, there's really only four books of mine that you need to read. Revolutionary Psychology, The Great Rebellion, The Three Mountains, and The Yellow Book, or, or perhaps The or the Perfect Matrimony. Anyway, there's, there's four or five books that he that he highlighted from, his, from the 60 that he wrote. And he said, you really only need to read those, those four or five. The Great Rebellion, for example, is one of the last 
or sorry, the revolution of psychology is one of the last books that he wrote and yet is one of the most important and it's one of the thinnest. So again, you have to follow your heart. You have to listen to your heart uh, because in our case, our work is to do things like esoteric unveilings of Lord of the Rings. And so, you know, so we have to focus on modern mythologies, mythologies that didn't exist at the time of, or they, they did, but, but went under the radar of Master Samuel. Master Samuel never wrote a word about Tolkien. And Star Wars didn't exist, or Star Wars only came into existence uh, uh, around the time that he disincarnated. So he had nothing to say about that. Right, so there's nothing in any of his books to say about that. So, so, and there's nothing on Glorienne about any of this stuff, right? So, so you have to listen to your heart. And, and in our case, we got to a point where we were like, we we have more to bring into the world, and it's more important for us to bring into the world what we have to bring into the world than it is for us to read what somebody else brought into the world. Because they did what they they did their part. Now we have to add to the to the to the body of work. So we hope that answers the question or gives you some guidance on how you can approach answering that question for yourself. We also read Beelzebub Tales to his grandson. We've read some Manly P. Hall. Um, there's there's no shortage of obviously books to read and we think that that this is why you're asking the question Jennifer um but again it's it's one of these things where we gave we've given you some suggestions also you know we can recommend articles on our blog atlas.info um because you will find information there that you will not find in any of Master Samael's books. Now, you will find plenty of stuff in Master Samael's books that you will not find in our blogs, admittedly. And we've admitted that. We've said that outright. We are not here. And, and the Gnostic instructors are far more knowledgeable when it comes to all of the intricate details and the symbols and the allegories of all the ancient scriptures and the the and the the, the, the biblical stories and and Genesis and and uh, like we 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 tip our hats to the level of of knowledge that they possess. Um, but we all have our parts to play in this orchestra. We all have our instruments to to play. And you as an individual really do have to follow your own heart and, and see what resonates with you and see what avenues work for you. So for us, listening to the lectures was, it was, it was, there was something about that which helped to balance out the just reading of the books and we could we could listen to lectures while we were walking through the woods and immersing ourselves in nature while while immersing ourselves in the teachings so again you have a few recommendations here um 
and and we can uh, reiterate those recommendations. But yeah, let's just go to this website and read the introductory articles and consider listening to going through these courses um, and making these courses a part of your 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 study because as you go through these courses these courses will list books as additional reading and additional resources and um yeah we think we've answered that question if not ask us again jamie says it is upon reaching this age i think he's back to that um Oh, no, 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 we, we uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we covered this one already. Okay, Genevieve says, we see sadness in the eyes. The focus is there. Sadness, fear, and void. If you're referring to this mask issue, it is difficult for people to be happy when they're walking around in public and everybody is, is like this, Right? And everybody, yeah. So, and 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 perhaps that's a that's a astute observation. That and by the way, have you ever noticed in those uh, those those television commercials for the Humane Society or those television commercials for the uh aid for africa have you ever seen how how they make sure to film the animals staring into the looking into the camera and how the all the african children who are all starving are staring into the camera with their sad and 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 depressed and and desperate desperation in their eyes because of course they know that they're going to trigger the guilt and shame inside of you to to pick up the phone and give your credit card number what they don't tell you is that those organizations that have the money to make those commercials very little of the money that they raise actually makes it to those animal shelters or or actually makes it to aid in africa the vast majority of money that gets raised by these uh, non-for-profit organizations goes to the executive who run them, who all have six-figure salaries or more or higher. Oh, but their commercials are, oh my goodness, do they tug at the heartstrings and they penetrate into your very soul with these sad eyes, these animals and these, these poor children in Africa. Meanwhile, they're just, they're just taking the money and running with it. But that's an astute observation about this mask phenomenon and that if everybody is possessed by fear and they're either they're wearing masks either because they're afraid of getting sick, but many people wear masks because they don't want to rock the boat. Right? You don't want to get fined. You don't want to get thrown out of the store. You don't want people having a temper tantrum because you refuse to put a mask on. There's some people who beat their chest and walk around saying, I've never wear a mask. I go everywhere and I don't wear a mask and blah, 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 and this and that. 
Well, that's fine if they want to die on that hill. We talked about this in one of the previous live streams about picking your battles. We certainly don't go around with fear in our eyes. We're not afraid. But we just don't, simply don't need the hassle. And the other thing, too, is that we live with an elderly father who, of course, he is afraid. Right? So we wear a mask outside or not outside, outside, in in a store or whatever we go to, we wear a mask because for his sake. Because we wouldn't want him to think that we were putting him in jeopardy. And of course, we're not putting him in jeopardy ever. There is no jeopardy that he is in. But for his own sake, he's 82 years old. He's not changing his mind, right? So we have to live with the reality of the people that are around us and our loved ones. We talked a little bit about family. So sometimes it's better not to, you know, poke the sleeping bear with a stick. It's better just to let sleeping bears lie, right? So, but again, the observation is astute that many of the people that you do see when you go out in public wearing a mask, if you do, you look in their eyes, you do see sadness, you do see fear. All right. All in all, it may be a little ironic or it may be a little surprising that we went nearly three hours with no topic, a non-topic, with nothing, with not knowing what we were going to talk about other than we had nothing to talk about, that we were stuck. So much so, believe it or not, that we were on a phone call with a friend right up until 7.58. We had exactly two minutes to set up our webcam, turn, up, turn on our lighting, and enter the live stream and pick a background for, for our uh, live stream. Exactly two minutes to do it. And we were completely calm and relaxed, not knowing at all what direction we were going to go. Simply surrendering to the horizon of infinite possibility and simply going with whatever it was you all put in the ch into the chat tonight. Be water, go with the flow, and you will go where you need to go and you will discover you are the spring, you are the well. If you be water, you won't, you will no longer be saying the well is empty, you will say, I am the water in the well. I am the water. There was absolutely no way we were going to say these words to you, Jennifer, which are what you needed to hear. There was absolutely no way these words 
we could have said were it not for the previous two hours and 56 minutes because this simply this insight this inspiration simply came to us right now in this moment this is something we've never said to anybody before it's completely completely original And this is the power of surrendering and embracing the baffles, the obstacles, the desert, the, des the deserted island, the raft adrift at sea, like pie in the life of pie. The zero point the horizon of infinite possibility of being, just being in that moment and going with the flow and realizing that when you surrender to the flow, you are the flow. And more than being the flow, you become one with the source of the flow. So how can it not flow? If you are being one with the source of the flow, how can it not flow? I, who had no idea what to do for tonight's live stream, I have been a mouthpiece that's been going for two hours and 58 minutes. How was I able to do that? The answer is, I wasn't able to do it. We were able to do it. And only because we put our faith and trust in the logos, in Aluks. All light, God light, the source of all flows. Genevieve says, thank you. This three hours felt like a bomb on the soul. You're so very welcome. And you see, again, how could we have known that? How could we have known Right? We were fretting and anxiety and worrying and everything else, but what, what, we had nothing to do, nothing to say, nothing to do, whatever. And sure enough, by embracing it, by surrendering to it, by going with the flow, we now have shared three hours, which, which many of you have now expressed was exactly what you needed to hear. But we guarantee you, had we had allowed our mind to get in the way, and our intellect to get in the way, and our worry to get in the way, and our ego to get in the way, we would not have been able to express that which you needed to hear. Because I don't know what you need to hear. How can I know that? 
I don't know. I don't know anything. And that's the truth. That's a fact. Take that fact to the bank. I don't know. How can I possibly know what Jennifer needs to hear or what Genevieve needs to hear? How can I don't know that? And so this is the beauty. This is the beauty of being water and going with the flow. Because the water, all water has a source. And if you are in the flow and one with the flow, then somewhere a part of you has to be one with the source. And then that part of you, you are one with the source. You allow it to flow and you become the flow. And now all of a sudden, these beautiful people on the other end of this live stream are feeling like that water is, is, a, is, is refreshing their soul. It's like, it's a bomb. It's, a, it's, 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 it's like a soothing rain shower. Why? Because the water always flows back to its source. We all know this. All water, no matter where it comes from, always returns to its source. The, we think of the water cycle, yeah? When you are in the flow and you are connected to the flow and the source of the flow and you are being that, that is when what you do and what you bring into the world, what flows through you will reconnect with the source in others. That's how you inspire others. That's how you touch others. That's how you create high art or words that inspire or words that change the world or whatever, or images or music or whatever. Because that which flows from your source returns to its source in everyone because it's all one source. So don't worry about the stuckness. Don't worry about the writer's block. Don't worry about inspiration failing you it is not failing you your divine mother is giving you precisely what you need for you to tap the source inside of you and be the flow from that source all right anyone have any other questions or comments Anything else to share or ask or anything at all? If not, then let us say good night and God bless.
and see you Friday. And inverential peace. Take care. Much love, everyone. Good night.